When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. What can we learn about finding our path from a lion tracker? Well, it turns out quite a lot. This incredible conversation with Boyd Varty reveals how, when we learn to use all of our senses to find and follow our inner tracks, we also learn to see what is deeply important to us. Together we speak about how the ancient art of tracking can teach profound lessons on how to live a purposeful, meaningful life. People who make really big transformation in their lives are people who consistently every day pay enough attention to how they could make it a little more essential, a little better, a little closer to something that feels enlivening to them. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Wiser Conversations, together at home. My name is Derek Handley. I'm an entrepreneur, an investor, a teacher, and a student. Each episode, I sit down live with an amazing thinker an author, an artist, a religious or spiritual leader. We have a conversation to reflect on our lives and the world around us in these very surreal times. With all the uncertainty, there is no better moment than now to reflect on what matters to us and who we wish to become as we see out this pandemic. Welcome. My life came together at the confluence of two very interesting things. Um, the first was that I grew up in the wild eastern part of South Africa. Um, and my family ran a, a photographic safari business out there. And from the time that I was very young, I was apprenticed by some of the best Shanghai trackers in the world. And so from the time you know I was small, I was hours and hours out in the wilderness learning how you follow the faint trail of an animal. And that that system went into me very deeply. And then later in my life, when I was in my early 20s, I went through some, a period of extreme, what I would think of as inner disconnection. I was, I was uh, terribly depressed for a while. I was suffering from anxiety. And I started, luckily, through an encounter with a mentor, I started the process of coming back to life, of finding what actually brought me to life, of what I now think of as finding the track of your life. And as I started that process of inner work, I started to see how all of those hours with the trackers as a child um, had given me a set of tools and the way that you went about finding the track of your own life um, and the way that you went about finding, uh, following the tracks of an animal, there were similarities. And I started to see that the mentality of the tracker could teach us how to move forward towards something very undefined. 
And so I became a tracker of animals and then I became a tracker of the track of one's life. And so those were the sort of two structures. And it was, it was phenomenal. As I started to do my own personal work, I started to think of the trackers who I'd grown up with and I started to think of their approach and I started to see the systems that they used and I started to see them in a totally different light. And what, do you, what, what would you say it means to be a tracker? What's amazing is that the trackers through all fields of life, but if you spend time with the trackers, basically what you discover is that they are someone who has taught themselves um, to be able to follow something that very few other people uh, can see and are aware of. And to be a tracker is to understand that there is information um, all around us, but we have to teach ourselves to attune to it, to follow it. So, you know, one of the, one of the things that trackers do, for example, is they call it developing track awareness. So when I was a little kid, my teacher was a man by the name of Renia Simshongo. He would take me to a game path, a path where animals move between waterhole and clearing. And he would say to me, go walk down this path and come back and tell me the tracks you see. I would walk down the path and I would come back and I would say to him, I could see where a herd of impala have walked down here. And he would look at me skeptically and, and he would say in Shanghai, Mfan, foot. He said, young boy, go look again. And I'd walk back down the path. And this time I would see where under the tracks of the impala was the tracks of where a hippo had walked and the impala had walked over it. Then you would see the faint tracks of where a leopard had walked. Then you would see where an owl had swooped down during the night and his wing had touched the ground. And every time you walk down that path, there was more information there, but you had to teach yourself to see it. And when my mentor walked down the path, he saw infinitely more than I saw. And that idea, when I got into the process of, when you arrive at a, a place in your life where you say, I, I'm stuck. I don't know what calls me forward. I don't know what brings me to life. I don't know what I want to do. That idea that from that moment, there is information in your life. There is, there is scores of information, but you have to teach yourself to see it. You have to start to attune yourself. Um, when I started coaching people uh, in the personal development and transformational space, that just became incredibly uh, important idea that wherever you are at any juncture where you feel stuck, there is information, but you have to now tune to it. Do you think, I mean, I get the sense that at the moment, in many places, we are almost desensitized, like we've, we've gotten so out of tune with being able to pick up those signals or even know that they're signals yeah i mean one of the ways to think about it one is we have to become desensitized from an environment that is bombarding us with more and more information but one of the things that starts to happen is there is also a disconnection from a kind of internal sense so if you, you might think of it like this like let me say that inside of you there is a wild part of you what i would call your wild self your wild self you were born with it has a sense of your mission. It knows your purpose. Uh, you could think of it as your essence, your most essential nature, and that is inside of you. Overlaying that wild self then comes your social self. You know, all the socialization that you have, that you, all the layers that get put on you, the programming that gets put on you to be successful in this world. Now, now having a social self is not bad because we do live in society. But the problem is, is that most of us have become so heavily socialized that we have totally lost disconnection from that more essential wild place in us. Um, 
and we're doing all the things uh, that society tells us to do, that society tells us if we, if we do these things, we'll achieve success, we'll feel happy if we attain these things. And what we quick, quickly realize is that those ideals are not actually what we're looking for. We're looking for something that brings us to life. We're looking for something that expands us. And so the, the art of the tracker is to start to attune your attention and to start to teach yourself to see and experience the places that expand you, um, the places that make you feel alive, the things that make you forget about time, because the things that you're naturally curious about, because those are the things that are pulling you to a more essential place. The culture presents you with these ideals, right? And the ideals are that they operate in two ways. One, they say that if you achieve these ideals, then you'll be happy. And normally one of two things happens. Either you achieve them and you realize, well, that's not it. And you only need to coach your first couple of incredibly successful you know, millionaires and billionaires to realize, okay, the culture says if you attain that peak, then you'll be happy and, and, and it doesn't. Or where it leaves you is constantly feeling like you've never quite made it in a state of constant comparison. Mm. And it's important for people to know that that feeling of like, okay, I've achieved it and it leaves me empty or the feeling of I've never quite achieved it. That is how the, the, the structure of our culture is designed. And so mm. when you push that aside and you arrive at a place, you say, well, that's not it. That's not what I'm looking for. Then what am I looking for? And that's where you become a tracker. And that's where you have to start to say like, okay, I need to teach myself to move towards a completely different set of tracks um, than what I'm being presented. And that is where I start to feel more connected to my life. When you think about that, um, one of those paradigms where you're saying, if I achieve this, then I will feel, you know, that, and then you realize it isn't. When you're in the, in the metaphor of the actual, the tracker, is, is, there, is there purpose? Is the purpose of tracking to find the leopard? Like, is that to get somewhere? What it is, is it's a deep commitment to process, you know, and they actually allow the process to bring them to life. So one of the things that you see is that they, when they are following an animal, they go into a great trackers, go into an amazing energetic state. They are completely committed to finding that animal. It's, a, it's like a kind of rabid commitment. Um, but they are not allowing the commitment to become a burden in this moment. Will we find it? I don't know if we'll get there. It's very tricky terrain. They are completely present here in this moment. And when you watch the kind of energy state they go into, you could think of it as they're doing a lot of difficult things at the same time. They're seeing very faint imprints of the track. They're waypointing of trees up ahead of them to get a vector of how the animal might be moving. They're telling the story of uh, what that animal's mood is by seeing how the cadence of the tracks land. They're doing all of those things. They're shifting subtly. They're tuning into calls of birds. They're listening for alarm calls. And when you watch them, they're almost in a kind of state of play and, and they are giving themselves totally to a state of discovery. And so what I would say is that in the discovery of essence in our life, in the discovery of our track of our life, um, it is never going to be a fixed destination. It is a way of living in constant creative response to life, making small adjustments towards more aliveness, constantly imagining, constantly shifting. And, and in that state, um, 
in that state, it's a very fluid, open state, and it requires what it most fundamentally requires is presence day to day um, to be able to, to get in tune with that thing and, and live on that, that sort of very unique track inside mm. of you. It's, it sounds like, you know, it sounds like bliss. It sounds like the holy grail to be able to hold at the same time the idea of something that you're pursuing and not giving up that, you know, you're going after something because you're not giving up on all goals or things, but you're really doing it in a sense of uh, continual presence, as you say, right? Like continual presence of reaction to what's happening in the moment. And I think that state of play where you're trying to balance both of those is super challenging for, you know, people in the day-to-day. It's incredibly challenging. And that's why mostly when when people come to inner work, when they when they arrive at a place where they want to live more essentially. Um, it's usually because they've either achieved those ideals and that they realize it's not it, or they arrive, or there's a catalytic event in their life. Like something has happened that what you thought you were and what you, what you were, you know, I, I was, you get divorced, you leave your job, you, all of these identity that you had is now shifting. And, and so people come arrive at that moment in their life when they want to live more essentially, something happens. Um, maybe there's just nothing calling them. They just realize like I'm, I'm in my life, but nothing is actually speaking to me. And strangely, I, I always think of that as a very important beginning of the journey. Another thing that happens is you have, you have no idea what you're looking for, you know, and that, and amazingly people come to me, they say, you know, I'm not, I'm looking for something. I want to create more meaning, more purpose, I, but I don't know how to begin. And that itself is the beginning because there's just something that happens when you switch your attention on and say, what I've been doing, you know, that time has passed. Um, I'm looking for something now. And you start to pay attention again in your own life and, and wake up again in your own life. It, it starts to show you, you start to realize you actually do know how to move forward, mm. but it requires that constant attention. You know, in the last, um, I don't know, five or 10 years, the word purpose has come up a lot more as not only in the organizational space and corporates and stuff, but in the personal space, like I want to live with purpose and I want to know what my purpose is. And and a lot of people struggle with uh, getting to the point where you just mentioned, which is, okay, I know something's not quite right, but equally, I don't know what it is I'm here for. I think that's interesting because what you're encouraging really is that the track itself is a fascinating sense of um, you know, purpose instead of like attaching it to having to define why exactly am I here? What exactly am I trying to contribute? Because the journey of that tracking and that path is likely to be the way in which you're going to uncover many of the things that you're not here to be doing or many of the things that you maybe think you're here to be doing, right? And you talk in the past also about if you're off track, like what can you learn from, you know, backtracking, off track, things that are signals and signs that, well, well, that's not it, you know, so that's not here. I think you say that, right? Is it not here or something like that? It's fascinating. Well, one of the things that you see with the trackers is when they lose the track, um, they do a couple of interesting things. And it's very important to know that losing the track is part of tracking. Anytime, even with incredibly good trackers, um, when you're with them, they lose the track from time to time. And when they lose the track, they'll do two things. Um, the one is they'll go back to when they were last clearly on track. And so you might ask yourself, when was the last time in my life, if you were in a transformational process, when is the last time I was, I felt really on track? What was I doing? 
how did it feel? Like, what was the feeling of that time that said in my body, that's the feeling of being on track? Who was I with? Who were the people? And so you can start to you know, show yourself there some of those, the way that essential nature, that track of your life speaks to you. The other thing that you might do is just start trying things. If you watch the trackers, they, they cut up ahead, they look on an open game path. Um, they'll walk a half circle, checking if any tracks cross. They look on any open ground. Uh, anywhere where they don't find tracks, they call that the path of not here, you know, and it's, and the path of not here is always helping you refine towards the path of here. And so nothing is wasted. And when I, when I watched the trackers, what I saw is that we live in a society from the time we're in school where we have to know and we have to be right. And when you, when you spend time with a tracker, you see he lives in constant unknowns with presence and they give themselves curiosity and discovery. They're always just trying things. And it's so diametrically opposed to the way that we are, are conditioned from the time we're young. And I, I can, I mean, literally I have had hundreds of conversations with people who were beginning in the beginning stages of a transformational journey in their life. And they almost all say to me, when I know exactly what the next moves are, then I'll, then I'll start making them. When I know exactly what the next thing is and that it'll give me purpose, then I'll make the move. And that's just never really how inner tracking goes. The first movement of all tracking is to go without knowing and to start and to understand you will lose the track and to understand that you will probably need um, before you find the animal, a first track and then a next first track. And, and I mean, one of the, another thing that you see with trackers to talk to the first track is, you know, you imagine a vast wilderness, a lion could have gone anywhere in this wilderness and the tracker has one track. And then he has, which I think of as the first track and then the next first track and then the next first track and then the next first track. And the, the skill of the trackers to dial down the infinite possibilities of where that animal could have gone to a moment of presence and then another moment of presence and then another moment of presence. And so in a transformational journey too, after you've lost the track, if you get back onto it, all you need is the next smallest move you can make and the next smallest move you can make. And, it, and that next small, smallest move often won't be the full expression of where you're going. It's just the next step you can take each day. And, and people who make really big transformation in their lives are people who consistently every day pay enough attention to how they could make it a little more essential, a little better, a little closer to something that feels enlivening to them. In nature, you mentioned, you know, you, you see all these, uh, these senses that you're being acute to, whether it's birds or trees or directions, etc. What are, from your journey, what are the the human versions of that? What are the things that we should be paying attention to that help us, you know, with our own tracking? Uh, I mean, it is such a, that is such a great question. And what's amazing about that question is that it's really at the core of tracking because the culture, as I said, presents you with all these ideals. When you wipe those away and you start your own inner tracking journey, Here's the great thing about it. No one can tell you exactly what your tracks are going to be. You will teach yourself to be attuned to them and they will be very, very unique to you. Um, but there are, there are definitely some things we can, we can, that help us along the way to that. One is attuning to what you are naturally curious about. And, and you know what? You, you actually have to slow down 
and catch yourself being curious. If you're super busy, if you're moving really fast, we miss the things we're naturally curious about. But if you feel something in you go, oh, what is, who, who's that? Oh, who's that speaking? Like the, the way we got on this call, you know, is something inside of you said, oh, that's interesting. There's something there. Um, so we will be curious, uh, naturally curious about the things that are essential to us. That's, that's one. So start paying attention to what grabs your curiosity and, and follow your curiosity. It will take you to your essential self. Another thing that I would say is we have to get out of the head and we have to become attuned a little more to the body. The body is like the wildest thing we have. And so you have to start paying attention to what makes you feel almost like energetically expansive in the body, what they call somatics in psychology. But, you know, if you ever had that experience where you, you're sitting across the table from someone and they start to talk and you feel yourself go like leaning forward in your chair, your body literally starts to do things that your mind is not attuned to. And you feel something in you going like you, you, this person, something about what they're saying right now is resonating with me. Um, people who, who you feel really energized around something. And it's not them per se, but something about that is, is lighting me up. Um, so those are things that we can start to pay attention to. What grabs our curiosity? What makes us feel expansive in the body? What makes us feel um, compressed? You know, because that's the path of not share. Like if we notice actually through the day, the people, activities, things that actually make us feel drained of energy, make, make our body feel that's going to start to tell us, you know, these things are not, they're not feeding us. Um, they're not bringing us to life. So those are like a, immediately a couple of places to start. And you have to trust that that wild thing inside of you, it knows. So it will naturally attune to where there's energy. Um, but you have to be present enough to actually catch that. You know, so, when you walk out of an interaction, you will feel that energize me or that that completely drain me. And that starts to just that awareness will start to give you a sense. You might see images um, of of things that are like, ooh, whatever's going on there, you you know, but, mm. but it has to you have to be present enough to catch it. How can you build a, a greater sensitivity to just being aware? You have to have a stillness practice of some kind. Um, and you can, you can design that architecture for yourself in any way, but that kind of attention, it has to come out of stillness. And one of the things that happens too, is when, when you start to touch that, the track of your life, the thing that really calls you, there's like a natural reverence that comes there and reverence cannot happen at high speed. So what I would say is you have to practice stillness. Um, you have to slow down a little bit in this process. If you arrive at a juncture where you say, I'm, I'm on a process of transformation now, I'm, I want to let some, I want to let a wilder part of myself come through a more essential part. You got to start, you got to start there. And the other strange thing is if you can identify, there are two things in my mind that keep us out of presence, because obviously presence is required to live like this. The one is roles. So the role you have taken, I'm the CEO, I'm uh, the head of the house, I'm the provider, I'm the caretaker, I'm the, that role itself can become const constructive and we're just living in the role, all the rules about how we think we have to show up. That's going to take us out of presence. So you have to identify a role that is holding you. This is what makes me valuable. The other thing is trauma, you know, things, and I think of trauma as, things that happened that shouldn't have happened, that froze us a little bit, or um, 
things that should have happened that didn't. You know, those are the sort of two sides of it. So things that we, and both of those, those both of those make us a little bit frozen. So, like for example, if if um, what's going to keep you out of a transformational process is, uh, you know, maybe maybe your father decided to to give up his job and go on and go on an entrepreneurial journey, and as a result of that, things didn't work out. And so you grew up in a house where there was tremendous financial pressure. So anytime you arrive at a juncture where you want to be present with yourself and try something, that old, that old fear comes up from, from a different time into your life. So these are some of the dynamics of these processes. Um, but I would say get still, slow down, and, just the, and, and say to yourself, I am now tracking. Um, I'm, I'm tuning myself um, to things that grab, grab me more deeply. And then, the, mm. and then the fourth thing again is use your body. Let your body tell you. Try and get out of the rational ideas of how I should do this and just notice for a while. You don't even have to do anything about it. Just notice what grabs you, what opens you, what enlivens you. What about the role of simplicity and complexity? Like, you know, because you can have a super complex life at the moment, lots of different things, lots of moving parts, lots of responsibilities, lots of ideas. I've found that the more, more you know, nodes the harder it is sometimes to, to be present. What do you think about, you know, the role of having pairing things back? You know, I'll just tell you what I see. Um, having worked with a, a lot of people who've been in this process, when someone starts to do the process of tracking and, and there can be infinite complexity, the complexity is certainly layers and layers and layers that, that there's just add to the challenge and modern life is so complex. But when you start to track, I actually think it will start to take you something essential starts to take you into simplicity. Um, and it seems to me like people who actually start to touch really authentic places, uh, there's a natural movement toward, towards simplicity. Um, there's an almost instant when you start to touch an authentic place in yourself, people stop wanting more stuff. You know, it's just like stuff. It becomes, you don't want stuff. There's a natural draw towards nature. There's a desire to spend more time in creativity, in the, in the process of creating rather than consuming. And there's an almost inevitable desire to share that comes online. Just by being in the process of starting to pay attention to what's more essential, that starts to come. Hmm. But I would say if you want to reverse engineer that, if you start to track your life, it will take you into more simplicity. I'm, uh, more often more depth in certain areas, but more simplicity, not less. Um, the other side of doing that is you will take yourself towards more essentialness if you commit to working out how to make your life more simple. Mm -hmm. So the reverse engineer of it is like, if it's not a nine out of 10 uh, or, or even a 10 out of 10 in my life, it goes. If I can, if I can go through, like, let's say I took a week and I lived through it and I just monitored what energized me all through the week. And if I really found the things that were actually energy drains, the people who were consistently energy drains, the activities that were energy drains. And then I said to myself, those have got to go. Well, immediately that's going to take you to a more essential place. And, and usually what it also puts you into is a whole lot of beliefs about why that's not possible, which is part of the work. Um, but, but that is gonna, that's going to take you there because it's simpl simplicity and then it's a discipline to maintain it. 
Yeah, well, that idea that you just mentioned, I think, is a really powerful, practical thing that anyone can do, right? Look back at a week or, or, or a month, you know, because there's things that happen in a, a month that happen in a week and really identify um, both sides of the coin, I suppose, the things that are energizing that maybe you're not giving enough to and the things that are draining uh, and, be, and be able to kind of almost like audit it and then decide, actually, I'm going to make a decision to start to remove these things out. Um, I think it gets challenging if those things are part of a job or part of a vocation or part of something that's linked to other more practical needs like, you know, an income or something like that. You can't just, you know, I mean, we're all jealous of you because you get to live in nature and with nature and deeply connect uh, whereas I think in an urban environment, there are a bunch of things that you have to put up with if you're going to choose to live in that environment, right? Well, I mean, absolutely. And I'm the first to say that the, the, there is practicality to this path. And in fact, you know, this to live like this, some people think um, that I'm talking about something, you know, it's airy, just follow. Well, actually, you know, what, one of the things that Joseph Campbell said was follow your bliss. Um, and then people stop the stop the set the, the quote there, you know, the sort of bumper sticker quote, they missed the second part that he said, which is follow your bliss. Um, you may never be respe respected because you won't be any box that the society understands, but you will be in your own life. You know, and that's like quite a, that's quite an important piece that people leave out. And what I'm saying is, is that to live like this is very challenging because there's often no structures as you start to move towards your medicine way, your essential way. But, you know, almost everyone when they start says, well, I would do that if I could, but I can't, mm -hmm. you know, I have, I have financial pressures. Everyone has these incredible financial pressures. I have the, I have responsibility pressures. And, but what is important to know is that there are places when those are true, but if you've coached enough people, you also find places where those are beliefs we've had for a long time. Like, you know, if I just started living more essentially, I wouldn't make money. Mm -hmm. Um, and when we start to navigate with more fluidity, we start to see, well, there's a lot of changes I could make right now that could make it like infinitely better. Um, but I actually have to be alive to wanting to work out how to do that. Um, and then right. when we start to run into the big ones around our personal religion, around, you know, money, income, that those are big barriers, but also, and sometimes they are, it's hundred percent true. And other times, when it comes to the money one, they're, 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 that is a place where we have deeply embedded beliefs about what would happen uh, if, you know, if I started going after this other thing that's calling me, you know, it's, it, I, what I'm saying is it's, it's, it's a place where we must explore because we must explore our beliefs. Mm, to separate what's a belief from what's a reality. And there's a question around that, which is, you know, when you're coaching or working with people, it's it's related, but it's around like the destination. If they if it's not clear that the destination is is you know crystal clear to them, and but you're encouraging to well just just walk the track or walk the path, that must be deeply uncomfortable or anxiety inducing for quite a certain type of you know a lot of people will be like, well, no, I need to know where I'm going. I'm not just gonna you know walk walk the path. And how do you work through that and get people to move into that space without that kind of discomfort or fear, or at least push through it? Yeah. Well, look, the, the first thing is, is that um, it is uncomfortable. That is a transformational processes are uncomfortable because we're leaving the known 
you know, um, we're leaving the known, we're leaving this, the safe, we're leaving an identity. Sometimes we're leaving like a literal career where we're secure and we're going into the unknown. We're starting a process. Um, so almost the first is realizing that, that the anxiety is okay. It's part of transformation, you know, and, just, and, and not knowing is okay. Like that's, that's going to be a big part of this process is not knowing for a while. And then we have to be dynamic with it. Um, so we don't have to do it all at once. We can, and the thing that, as the reason I am so big on the first track is like, what are the, what are small changes we can make consistently that don't scare us too much, but start to show us that, you know what, we can be architects uh, in this life. We can, we can be creators. We can make small differences and it can be dynamic. Um, sometimes a sense of where we are going does emerge, but very quickly, what I find people are looking for is to live creatively in the process with themselves. And so that actually becomes um, the thing that brings them to life. And maybe they don't immediately resign from their job. You know, they start doing other things. They start noticing other things. There's a, there's a practical way of bridging from one identity, from one life to another. Um, mm. But the, these models are not offered to us in the society. No transformational models are offered to us in society. No, you know, no, no models are offered, offered for us for personal change. Um, so we are really the architects of this. Uh, there's no ceremonial mm. spaces. There's no, all of these things are a big challenge. And that's why the meaning becomes stripped out of life. What does that mean to you, that word ceremony? Ceremony is, uh, ceremony is where we come together to remember, to remember. And if you, if you go into ceremonial spaces, um, what you find is it's like a place where you step out of your life into a microcosm of your life. Um, and you gather with people and you share. And you, in that place, you realize that your story is a, is a part of a connected story. Um, other people are facing similar challenges to you. You realize that you, your life's journey can support their life's journey because you realize you have done things that they are still trying to do and work out how to navigate. And they have done things that you aren't yet to navigate. Uh, in a ceremony, there is a structure of, that naturally forms between um, different generations. Uh, there's a gratitude that comes in a ceremony because you face your fears you go in there and you actually face the things you are fear, fearful of, the places you are vulnerable, and you share it with people. And they show you that they have been there. They hold it for you so you're not alone. Um, and what happens is when you do that consistently, um, you become more humane with yourself. And when you become more humane with yourself, meaning starts to constellate back into your life in very unexpected ways. And just the process of being engaged in that type of process of saying like, I'm, there are places where I have gifts. There are places where I am lost. There are places where I don't know how to move forward. There are places where I know how you should move forward and I can help you there. Just being in that starts to remind us how we were meant to be with each other together. Uh, and inevitably when that starts to happen, um, we become we become more essential. Can we build that kind of practice into our everyday lives, or is it something special that we need to architect? Like, how can people listening take what you just said and try that? You know, I think that modern day gatherings are one of the most important things, and 
the key is to just gather people together and to start uh, to create a space where a deeper question can be asked. And in a way, we're in a ceremony right now because you're gathering people and you're and we're talking uh, we're talking about life, you know, and how we think about it, how we approach it. Um, and so people are listening and, and you're doing it essentially. But I think everywhere, the art form now is to gather with people, light a fire and ask a question and see what, let people put their, put their experiences around that question into mm. the room. You, know, you could just ask, uh, what brings you to life? Mm. Um, what are the things that you think froze you in certain places? Um, where do you experience yourself? What do you experience as your own gifts? Um, where do you feel you have a lot to contribute? And just that, where do you feel most lost? Just that will start to change the dynamic. We have to remember how to come together again, you know, otherwise we just end up at cocktail parties mm. and sort of presenting our social selves to each other. So that's, that's the sort of the other side of my work is to then, you know, light a fire and create gatherings like that. And, and the reason that I'm really engaged in this, Derek, is like when I was in my early 20s, I was a passionate conservationist and, and loved nature so much. And, uh, and my first mentor said to me that the restoration of our relationship with nature will come out of a shift in human consciousness. And when she said that, I felt the track of my own life. Like for a moment, something in me went that. Right. And so that my work in personal development and my work in tracking and my work in ceremony work, it has all been to say that I believe that when we do this work of finding our essential self of following our path of tracking our unique medicine way, you might call it, we become a part of working out how to live differently here together. And that feeling when we touch that place of enough is is a huge gift for nature, that place where you stop wanting stuff and you want your life to constellate around feeling connected, feeling alive, feeling purposeful. Um, so that's like the, the, the meta of this work is you do this work in your own life and inevitably you become someone who lives differently and that living differently starts to inspire people to different ways of living. What about nature? So nature's obviously played a, a huge role for you. Not everyone is as connected to nature, um, depending on where you live in the world, it's sometimes hard to be more connected. But what, how important it is it, and how much should we go out of our way to make sure we are connecting with nature? I think that, I think that things get infinitely better if you leave your devices at home and go outside for at least an hour and a half a day, um, if you can. That just something starts to change. And now the science is starting to tell us the same thing. Like your nervous system starts reconstellating itself radically quickly because of the soundscape of the natural world. Like immediately your heart rate starts to come down, your body starts going parasympathetic. Um, but there is also something else that happens out there, which is, you know, we were joking about your vegetable garden. Um, when you spend time out there, you start to see that it has a rhythm. It has uh, an intelligence that runs through it. And the more time you spend out there, it becomes impossible to deny that somehow you are a part of that intelligence. And that feeling of, of being connected to it by realizing that you are of it, and it is intelligent beyond description. Um, 
that starts to change your experience of yourself in fundamental ways. And you don't need a lot of it. You know, you, you can anywhere where you can cultivate a little connection to nature, it's going to, you're going to start to see that there is like interlocking circles of intelligence there of which you are a part. I love that. We have a question. Are you one of a kind or are there other people like you who are trackers and now helping people track life? You know, what happens is if you spend time tracking, you become attuned. So I know that there's definitely guys in North America, um, guy called Tom Young, uh, uh, a guy called Tom Brown, who understood that when you start to spend a lot of time seeing the connections in the natural world, you start to see that we too are connected and you can find your harmony within that. So, but, mm. you know, Paul Hawken has this idea that right now, the largest social movement, unnamed social movement in the world is underway. And that is millions of individuals around the world feeling that they want to live differently because they care about the natural world. Mm -hmm. um, and so I feel that so strongly everywhere I go, there are a group of people who know I'm a part of, of a big change. And I've always thought that when a lot of people ch start living differently like this, they will put, you know, consumerism falls away and, and you just put a different center to your life. And that center is usually around creating things rather than consuming them, um, serving, finding a way to serve, and it's inevitably quieter and simpler. Mm. And lots and lots of people finding that, I think, is part of the way we shift sort of this strange algorithm that we're in at right. the moment. As and maybe this whole, this whole thing we're undergoing collectively around the world is a part of squeezing us through to that other side. You know, people leaving cities, people questioning. Yeah, and such a shared experience we've been in. Like no denying that, you know, we are connected. It's just no two mm. ways about it. Yeah. When you talked about trauma earlier, um, the question around when you f work with people and they notice that they are reacting to past trauma and it freezes them or they freeze up, how do you work with them to help them, assist them, encourage them, enable them, equip them to move through that in the moment when they actually are aware enough to know that it's happening? Well, that's the actual, that's the key. Because normally what happens is that thing just arises and it's something that they have been in for so long or it happened when they were so young that it's just been a part of who they are. And the first movement is to start to say, oh, when that comes up, that's not fundamentally who I am. There is a pattern of response that was formed at a time when I used this pattern of response to protect myself in some way. And that pattern of response is now arising. And just that, to realize that distance and to be able to say, oh, there, when that pattern responds, I feel my heart rate go up. I feel myself shut down. I want to isolate myself. I would rather, um, I, I'd stop thinking about the future. And just that is going to start to change it. So the first thing we always do with trauma is we start to create awareness around the pattern. Um, and we see it first. And the second thing we do is we bring compassion to that pattern. We start to, to say like, oh, this is, I'm not messed up in some way. I am, I am noticing that this comes up and it's okay. I, I, I developed this pattern for good reason. The next thing that we start to do is we start to create a different outcome to support a different outcome for the pattern. So we say, this thing has come up. It makes me afraid, but I can be compassionate to it now with support what could, what would be a different outcome? 
hey, you know what? I could not isolate myself. I could reach out. I could go, I could connect with someone. I could ask for some support because I'm afraid. So I could say to someone who's really good at, you know, in this area of like starting something, okay, could you help me get started? It can be anything, but the key is that we start to change the pattern. And this is why it's very important to do this work together because we're going to be blind to our own stuff. Now we start to change the pattern. Now we start to create different outcomes. Now, when we do that consistently, we start to make a new channel uh, for ourselves. So that's always the work of with, with trauma and, and, and to map it all the way through and to let it have its own time and process, but to consistently learn to create a different outcome for ourselves that breaks the pattern and reconfigurate something new. Mm. I love that. So we've got a little bit more time left, but I think we should hear about your one of your more recent adventures, the 40 days and 40 nights and what brought you to do that and what, what you learned from it. And maybe you can share what it, what it was, the experience. Yeah, sure. So uh, just as lockdowns were starting all over the world, I managed to get back to South Africa. And because of COVID, a whole period of time opened up and uh, I was able to do something that I've wanted to do for a long time, which is go and live for 40 days and 40 nights alone uh, in the wilderness. And in this case, I was lucky to live up in a tree uh, on a sort of a platform up in a tree. And the reason I went, Derek, was... Um, all over, there are over 40,000 accounts of mystics going into nature. And I, I've read, you know, about all over the world at a certain point in someone's journey, they want to go and be alone in nature. And I, I wanted to know from the inside of that experience, why that in every culture you find that, why do people feel drawn to go and be alone in nature? And I wanted to understand it from the inside. So I went and what I found there was, uh, you know, the first few days I think of a shedding, you know, you just, you just find yourself dropping tons and tons of that complexity of modern life. And you realize how much stuff is in your consciousness that comes at you every day via these devices and screens. Um, so that, and that shedding phase is actually full of anxiety in some ways. It's like, oh, what am I doing? Can I do this? Is there time for this? Then you move into a time of attuning. And this was my experience where you start with the, a space opens up, a stillness comes into you and you start to see the natural world in, in all of its linkages. And that is where you start to see this incredible connectivity running through things. That connectivity brings you into a kind of simplicity. Things become very simple between you and the natural world. Um, and that is where you, that is where for me, it was, I started to realize that I am totally of that simple, elegant, connectivity that I am a part of that I am made by that same frequency that same current of energy and I think the mystics went because once you've once you've gone into nature like that you just can't deny that there's an incredible intelligence running through everything um, that is an infinitely attuned intelligence of which you are a part and that was and that was my experience has been fundamentally altering for me in very very deep ways um, and I think I'll go every year for maybe not for six weeks, but for at least for a month if I can. Wow. And how was it reintegrating? Uh, it was strange. It was strange. You know, like things like I remember going to, you know, out there, you're so engaged every day. It's a, it's, you're very still. And then there are things that naturally arise. There's like a natural curiosity. You move around a lot. You, I've, I felt like my body, I slept differently. I ate differently. Um, 
I gave up my idea of what I thought the experience should be. And I just moved with on that track. Like I slept and I was tired. It's a crazy idea. Who does that in modern life? You know, um, I only ate when I was hungry. Uh, I, if I was curious about something, I went and followed it. And then after the experience, when I was reintegrating, I went to a gym and it just like walk into this box where after a day of sitting, we go and like throw things around. It was just like, uh, I really thought to myself, like, what are we doing? Um, <laughs> it's just like, I, there's little things like that that were very strange. Thanks for joining us on Wiser Conversations, Together at Home. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review it today. And if you haven't already, go on and push subscribe. See you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.